and let us return to 1 Timothy, and we have now entered into chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and our text this morning will be verses 1 and 2, and now we've moved to further instructions within the Christian congregation at Ephesus, and for us here today, and it is instructions to Christian servants, or to bond servants, or to slaves. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and our text will be verses 1 and 2. Let us hear God's word. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Verse 2, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the proclamation of your word. We pray for the help and work of your spirit now. May he lead us into the way of truth. May he give us understanding. May he unplug our ears that we might hear and open our hearts to believe and to receive your truth. I pray that you would rest upon me. I pray for the help and the anointing of your spirit to speak your word with truth and power for your glory and for the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. In our passage this morning, the Apostle now brings us to a section where he's exhorting and instructing slaves actually to a work ethic, to a work ethic that brings glory to God. Now the subject, the subject that, uh, and, uh, that we're in this morning, the subject between the relationship between bond servants or, or slaves or servants, as this word can be understood, and masters, uh, it's not in common in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, this it, it's hard and difficult for us uh, in the 21st century as Westerners to, to begin to comprehend what life was like in the ancient world. But it was so common, the, the understanding of slaves and masters and that relationship, you find it throughout the New Testament. And something begins to take place. I believe it's, it's not only dr- addressed in the New Testament, because it's, it's common to the, the world and of the New Testament, but also something begins to happen with the arrival of the gospel. And so uh, you will find this in the New Testament, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21 through 24. You'll find this issue addressing slaves and masters in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, 5 and 9. Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, all the way to chapter 4. And Titus, chapter 9, through verse 10. The entire book of Philemon. And then in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 18 and 20. Now, when we think of slavery, especially in the West and in the United States, we think of uh, the chattel slavery uh, that led up to the emancipation and to uh, abolition of the Civil War uh, in the United States and even that which took place in the way of slavery in Great Britain. But slavery in the ancient world, slavery in the ancient world and in the Roman Empire was understood in the sense that people were enslaved that were conquered by the Roman Empire. In fact, in the ancient world, when one people group conquered another, it really wasn't, it was just assumed that people were going to be killed and slaves were going to be made out of many. It was just part of the ancient world. And in fallen nations, they waged war, they would enslave their defeated enemies, and they would bring them home. And so throughout the Roman Empire, This was normal as they would conquer other nations. In fact, there were millions of slaves. And it is said that while we do not have the exact numbers, at times there were certain cities in the Roman Empire that the slaves would actually outnumber the population of those that were free. 
In the ancient world, there were household slaves. Now consider, when you read your New Testament, often it will speak of the relationship between husband and wife, and then it will move to children, and then usually what's next on the list? Slaves. There were household slaves. That was common in the ancient world. And not only were they household slaves, often they were looked upon as family. And they would even take the name of their family and be brought into that family. And even when they were freed, they would often stay with that family. In the ancient world, uh, slaves sometimes were looked upon the master and slave relationship very much like our employer and employee relationship to some degree. Because there were different kinds of slavery. And some of those forms of slavery, the slaves actually received a wage. They may have gotten in a debt, and to pay that debt off, they sold themselves into slavery, and they could pay the debt off and be set free, and they'd be known as a freedman. There were In an agricultural setting, uh, there were slaves for that type of labor. However, and we've spoken about this when we looked at Colossians and Ephesians in the past and understanding slavery. But over time, listen closely, over time, Christianity's teaching that man was made in the image of God, the Omega Dei, and the brotherhood among Christians would begin to have a tendency that would undermine, undermine slavery. Let me be clear. Everywhere that the Christian faith was found. It is there among the Christian nations that slavery first began to be undermined. And there began to be abolition. And that would eventually spread all over the world. Now, as we, as we look at this, and you read your New Testament, the, the first thought that you, or one of the thoughts you may have, is why isn't Paul focused on abolition itself? Now, let me say this. Paul was focused, Paul was focused, and we should understand this in our Christian life, and how Christianity will, can, can, permeate a culture and society and what will take place. But Paul was focused with the mission that had been given to him by his Lord. His mission, let me be clear, his mission was not the abolition or the overturn to overturn slavery in the ancient world. That wasn't his mission. And now, but now let me be clear, as the Christian faith permeates a society Certain ills, certain evils of a culture are often overturned or abolished. Not always, but often. We need to understand that while we have the promise, I want you to listen closely to me, that while we have a promise that Christ's kingdom will advance to all the nations, and that local churches will be established in those lands among all people groups, it does not mean that that will take place all at the same time. As you begin turning your wheels about Christian history, eschatology, does it mean that it will take place all at the same time? Christianity can be in a region for hundreds of years and then fade away. But those people groups are before the throne of God, of every tribe, every, every tongue, every people, every nation. They're there. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that a thoroughgoing transformation of a particular nation state will happen. It might. And it may happen just for a season. A season with God. Hundreds of years, or even a thousand years. 
But that transformation may only happen for a season. But there's no promise that it will ever happen to a particular nation state. Churches can be established there, particular local churches among all the peoples, and they're surrounded by a dictatorship, by communism, by Islam, and they continue to function and live and carry out the mission. Now, the main thought that we have this morning in our text is Paul's been moving through life in the local church that he, he, he began this in chapter 5. The main thought this morning is that bond servants are to honor their non-Christian masters. Bond servants are to honor their non-Christian masters, and then he'll move from there to how they are to honor their Christian masters. There's an underlying theme here of loving neighbor, respecting those in authority, and living with humility for the sake of the kingdom is taught here in this passage. Now let's begin in verse 1. And what we what we first notice is that he will, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul will address bondservants or slaves with a non-Christian master. And then he'll take us to verse 2, where he will address slaves or bondservants with Christian masters. And how they are to respond to that, that now the gospel has arrived. Verse 1, let as many, let as many bondservants or slaves as under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed, it may not be reviled, it may, may not be spoken against. So here we have bond servants who are to honor their non-Christian masters. As we look at this section in our current day setting, here in, in North America, here in the United States, as we read these verses, not only should you see, looking back to uh, the church at Ephesus and the impact of the gospel between those relationships, that should be stirring in your mind, but also consider as you live now in the 21st century in North America where we have freedom and in this freedom, how we are to live and respond. And in this case, what if your boss, what if your manager, what if your supervisor is a non-Christian? How are you to live and, re and react and respond to him? What is to be uh, your attitude toward non-Christian authorities over you in the workplace? Now watch this. He says in, he says in chapter 5, and, and, and remember that in chapter 5, Paul began to address life in the local church and the proper way to honor other Christians within uh, the Christian community. You remember first, he gave us instruction concerning widows in chapter 5, verse 3. And then elders of the church, chapter 5, verse 17, about how they were to be honored. Now he addresses how converted, listen to me, how converted bondservants or slaves in the church are to honor their unbelieving master. And then in verse 2, again, he'll bring us back to the church's inner life with how these Christian bondservants are to honor Christian masters. So, as we move through this verse, I want you to consider how to honor or dishonor those in authority over you. For example, if you're employed by someone else, are they an unbeliever? Or your immediate manager, again, or supervisor. It is, it, are they an unbeliever? And how do you, as a Christian, live before them and honor them? That's the question here. Verse 1. The bondservants and masters here. Let as many bondservants and slaves are slaves as are under the yoke. Notice this expression there. As under the yoke. We have here the typical word for slave found in the Bible, doulos. It's, it's found all throughout the New Testament. In fact, it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It, it, it will not only be referred to as those slaves 
where they have a master over them in the ancient world. But it's also used in, in relation to Christians themselves as servants of Christ, as slaves of Christ. And in verse 1, he says, let as many bond servants or slaves that are under the yoke. And so here he's talking about those individuals that had been enslaved through war, that had been purchased, or that are working for another under, and in this case, probably grueling circumstances. He says that are under the yoke. A, a, a yoke is typically a, a wooden beam uh, that fastens, uh, is fastened over the necks of farm animals to plow or to, to pull a cart. And it seems that he's using that expression added here, bond servants that are under the yoke. That is, they're under pressure. They're under the heavy weight of an unbelieving master. And it's not an easy, it's not the yoke of Jesus. This is a heavy yoke of working. Uh, William Hendrickson, William Hendrickson in his commentary says concerning uh, this expression, he says, quote, the power of a master over his slave was almost absolute like that over his yoke animals, end quote. Now, again, Paul may be also adding this expression under the yoke in verse 1 to contrast. Paul likes to compare. He likes to contrast. To contrast the unbelieving masters of verse 1 to a believing master in verse 2. So the thought would be, unbelieving masters are probably harsher. And the believing master, he at least should be expressing kindness and compassion. Right? Now, back to verse 1. Though you might be a slave... Under the authority of an unbelieving master, verse 1, the gospel now has come. And you are a believing slave, a believing bondservant. And your ultimate allegiance now is to Christ. To Christ. And in obedience to Christ, verse 1, notice what he says, you are to count or regard or consider, some of your translations will say, your own master worthy of all honor. That's a hard one, isn't it? So you have a master. He's an unbeliever. You're under the yoke. He's not an easy individual. But now the gospel's come to you. And we know the gospel would sweep through the ancient empire and the slaves would come to no faith. And not only did they come to no faith, but we'll see in verse 2, even masters begin to come to, to faith in Christ. But now that your ultimate allegiance is higher than your master, higher than Caesar, it's Christ. And he says you are to regard or consider your master worthy of all honor. Now listen, Christian. You... You may not believe. Maybe they didn't believe their unbelieving master was worthy of honor. And you may not believe your employer, your, your non-Christian supervisor, is deserving of honor. However, however, as a Christian, we believe in the sovereignty and providence of God. How did Joseph end up in Egypt? Right? 
We do not believe that the individual that God has placed over us is by mere fate or chance. No, we must confess. We must, we must confess that this is the doing of God. God is over this. Because the only other choice is atheism. We either believe in the providence and the sovereignty of God over all things, or we believe in no God at all. God has placed them over you. Listen to Paul writing to the Romans concerning authority. Concerning authority. In this case, it has to do with governing authorities like the Caesar. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every, every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Then notice his language. For there is no authority except from God. For there is no authority except from God. That links us back to the fifth commandment. That links us back to honor thy mother and thy father and every authority structure on up. From an employer to a master to a government. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2. Verse 2 of Romans 13. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will, be, will bring judgment on themselves. And you may not believe that, that though this master, this employer, is personally deserving honor, in fact, he's showing harshness to you, towards you. However, God's word teaches otherwise that you are still to honor. Listen to Peter. Listen to Peter as he gives instructions concerning this, what could be a very difficult providence. A very difficult providence, a hard providence, a bitter providence of having a harsh master or employer. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this, verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, for what credit is it when you're beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now... Return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There is, as you've heard me say before, there is a there is in the New Testament a teaching concerning not only our vital union with Christ, but our identification with Christ. Even in our baptism. In his death, his burial, his resurrection. And there's, there's in the New Testament a, a teaching 
concerning the difficult providences of this life and our suffering and our identification, our identifying with the one that we have now, by faith, been united to, the Lord Jesus. But in any case, the Apostle Paul, and in this case, 1 Peter 2, Peter, makes it clear that the Master, that those authorities over you, are to be honored because of their position of authority. God has set them over you. So honor them. And show them respect. I, I hope that you see. In the way of authority. Whether it's a slave in the ancient world. Whether it's an employer in our, in our time. Whether it's a harsh parent. Or living under a harsh government. Dictatorship. Surrounded in a culture by a, 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 another belief system, religion, that, found, that continually pressures and persecutes the church. But there are those individuals that are in places of authority over you. A police officer. A mayor. An employer. They're unbelieving. But you honor their authority and you show them respect. Now notice the motivation now. There's, there's what he has set before us in verse 1. But notice the second part of verse 1. He shows us, and notice, he gives us a motivation for this command. Why this is so. There is a Underneath, again, in Paul's mind, there's an agenda, a kingdom agenda that's unfolding in Paul's mind. Look at verse 1 again. He says, we do this, you are to do this, so, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. In other words, there is a, there is a kingdom and an evangelistic motivation in Paul's mind, of why we're to live that way. Why the slaves in the ancient world to unbelieving masters and why we are to a supervisor, a manager that may be an unbeliever and may even be harsh towards us. As God's redeemed people, as servants of, or, or slaves of Christ, again, let us remember that our ultimate allegiance is to Him and His kingdom agenda. It should be our heart's desire as a Christian that the name of God and the teaching of Scripture is never in any way spoken against or blasphemed. That's what he says there. So that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. In other words, we do not want the name of Christ or the title Christian to be disgraceful. We're to honor those in authority over us so that the name of our triune God, the name of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is honored. And the question for us as very rights-oriented Americans, are we willing to set aside personal comfort, personal rights, so that God's name and truth is honored rather than spoken against. Thank you, Steve. Amen. Amen, brother. Yes, the unbelieving world, the unregenerate mind will speak against Christ and His Word. Yes. However, let us not unnecessarily become the fuel that sets that ablaze. Do you see what I'm saying? Now watch this. I 
think what's taking place here in these verses. I think Paul is wanting us to understand and realize that as we, as God's people, acknowledge the reign of Christ, the lordship of Christ, as we acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our lives by honoring those in authority that he has placed over us, yeah, some of you going, some of you may be thinking, but you don't know who my, you don't know who my manager is. <laughs> There's things called, in the Bible, called sanctification, right? God, God's, again, this isn't by chance, this isn't by fate. As we acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our lives by honoring those in authority over us, when we do that, we are walking in the way of Christ who took on flesh, who humbled himself, who suffered at the hands of sinful men to carry out the mission, right? The purpose that he was sent into the world. When we are willing to suffer for Christ's sake, willing to bear the brunt of someone who's unjust, unkind, someone with abusive authority over us, listen, we are declaring that there's someone greater than that authority and we have bent our knee to him. Do you see what I'm saying? They may look at us like we have lost it when they realize that they have been cruel to us, abusive toward us, and they expect us to lash out and to dishonor them. But by our behavior, by honoring them, we are acknowledging that there is one greater in authority. And he is our king. And we will obey him. So here, in verse 1, we see how we are to respond to those in authority over us who might be unbelievers. And as difficult as it may be at times, we are to be mindful that there's a greater agenda at hand. Yes, it might be for our personal sanctification. But Paul says here, it is so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. There's a greater vision of the, the kingdom of God coming into the world and expanding and moving. There's an evangelistic motivation, it appears, in Paul's mind. Now, number two. It's found in verse two. He brings us to verse two. And here we have slaves with Christian masters. Slaves with uh, believing masters. Here, think of your, your boss. Your boss is a believer. Look at verse 2. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So now we have the main thought, bond servants are to honor their Christian masters. So as we move through this verse, contrasting to the previous verse, I want you to consider how you will honor those in authority over you that are Christians. For example, if you are employed by someone else and they are a believer, or your immediate manager or supervisor is a believer, how do you as a Christian live before them and honor them? Verse 2, he makes it plain. Who have believing masters? So we have here... Now watch this. We have here a Christian slave. Look what has happened. The gospel's invading the Roman Empire. You have a Christian slave and a Christian master. And they are apparently in the church at Ephesus together. Yeah. 
What Paul is about to teach here is part of that language in the book of Acts that it turns the world upside down. Of course, we know church history. We know history. It takes time for the apostolic doctrine not only to spread in preaching and the teaching ministry of the church and Christians discussing it, but it takes a long time often for it to be understood. To be understood, especially when it's coming into a culture and the teaching of the Bible is turning it upside down. It takes time as they're thinking through what this means. It takes a long time, in fact, to spread and to be understood. And the implications of this teaching. But make no mistake. What the apostles are teaching in the New Testament will begin, will be the beginning of a process that will overturn the entire system of slavery in the Western world. It will take time. And there will be fights, wars over it. But it will triumph. God's timing is not ours, and it usually doesn't take overnight. Usually it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Now watch this. First, notice, notice that what has taken place in the Ephesian church, it is that slaves, slaves now, bond servants, servants, different ways your Bible will translate that word, they have now come to know Christ savingly. And those in authority over them, their masters, at least some of them, had come to faith in Christ. So you can just imagine how that must have happened. And you can begin to understand why often the Christians would meet early, I mean early in the morning on the first day of the week. It's not just the resurrection of our Lord, but many of them were servants. They went, they, they went as we would say, go to church early Sunday morning because they had to show up at work. They had an unbelieving master. But you can imagine one servant, one slave telling another slave, I've learned about a man named Jesus. There's, there's a man named Paul early in the morning in, in town. He's, he's teaching about him. Come, come. Well, I've got to work. No, come. Get up er, extra early and come and show up and, and he'll teach you about him. And there's a freedom. There's a liberty that I've now learned that's in Christ. And, and you, you might have those slaves that began by their way of life. Reflecting the truth of Christ. The love of Christ. The gospel of Christ to their masters. You might even have masters. Who through friends. Invited them to hear the instruction of God's word. The teaching of, the, of an apostle. And they would come to faith in Christ. And then they might say. Tomorrow morning, all of my servants, come with me. I want you to hear something. And he brings them all to church to hear the gospel. But what you have here, you have a slave, a servant that has come to know faith, who has come to saving faith, and you have a master, at least some of them, that apparently had also come to faith in Christ. Now notice the name that Paul applies to the master. And here is like a spade in the, in the ground, turning the dirt upside down, turning the world upside down. Paul says in verse 2, notice his language, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are what? Beloved. Not just beloved, backing up, they are what? Brethren. Brethren. Because of the gospel, 
There's an entirely new now relationship between master and slave when the gospel has invaded those relationships. There's now developed slaves and masters professing faith in Christ. They have professed faith in Christ. They have been baptized. They've been brought into the life of the church. They're there at Ephesus. And now they are called brethren. And later in verse 2, they are called, as you said, believers and beloved. Beloved. So watch this. So now that the Christian community, now in the Christian community, these two slaves and masters are on equal footing. Now what did that begin to start? The church is teaching men are made in the image of God. They begin to hear like the words of the apostle writing to the Galatians. Where they would learn that now free and slave. They're both sons of God. They've both been baptized and clothed. The language of the apostle clothed with Christ. They're one in Christ. And they're and they're recipients of the Abrahamic promise. Listen to Paul writing to the Galatians. Notice this with your eyes. Galatians 3.26. Turn there. Galatians 3.26 through 29. Galatians 3. Book of Galatians. Chapter 3. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Have what? Put on Christ. Verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor what? Free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ. He says verse 29. If you are Christ. You're what? You're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Wow. So immediately. The gospel and this truth. And the implications of it begin to have. An effect, and implications upon this often strained relationship. Masters and slaves. And those of us that are in Christ, you begin to realize all of these strained relationships that are part of this fallen world. Daughters and mothers and fathers and sons and employers and employees and governments and people and all these things. The gospel has a way of breaking into that and transforming it, doesn't it? One, he tells us here that now that the gospel has come into the hearts of masters and slaves in, in a congregation together, the slave was not to despise or to be disrespectful to the believing master. If they thought, if they thought, you know, okay, I'll show honor to my unbelieving master. He is an unbeliever and I need to evangelize him. But, but this guy is a believer. And when we gather for church, I mean, I'm walking with him there and we're together and, you know, he just needs to chill out a little bit and not be so uptight about work. And, and I should be able to take it a little easier now, right? Paul says, no, 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 no. You need to continue to honor him, even though he's a believer. You need to continue to show respect. Work hard. Honor your master. In either case, whether it's an unbelieving master or an unbelieving master, to show disrespect, to not honor, is wrong. At the end of the day, Paul says, His point is, do not despise your master. Honor those over you. 
So you, as a Christian, if you have a Christian employer, a supervisor, do not develop an attitude that you feel like you don't have to work hard to honor them. Well, Bill, you didn't turn in that report that was due yesterday. Oh, I I know I'm a little behind, but hey, we're good, right? (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not honoring him, and that's not honoring Christ. Because at the end of the day, you're not working for him. You're you're honoring Christ, right? Show your unbelieving employer or your Christian employer, show them genuine respect and honor. The Christian slave in the ancient world, the Christian employer in our day, is to give honor to their Christian manager because ultimately both are servants of Christ. Your goal, listen, your goal is to honor Christ. And that his name is not blasphemed, but exalted. Again, notice in verse 2 that Paul says that the slave is to serve in such a way, with such an attitude, that the master, their brother in Christ, the beloved in Christ, is, is benefited from it. He's benefited from it. The result will be that the bondservant will be honored by God for his obedience. A few closing remarks in the way of application. Much much of what we have said here this morning, yes, it's difficult for the modern mind to comprehend the difficulties and the way of life in the ancient world, but we are to learn from this. We are to learn, again, that God in his sovereignty and wise providence has ordained all things in our lives. Those over us in the way of employment, and because he has set things in place, we are to respond in such a way that honor our wise God in the way that we treat those who he has placed in our path and over us. We are to honor authority. Amen? Number two, God has ordained for each of us Our station in life. Our vocation. Our status. If you spend time as a believer... Understanding the providence and the sovereignty of God. Once you get out of this Disneyland called North America and get out into the world in difficult places, that has a humbling effect. God has ordained our station in life, our vocation, our status, every detail. In this case, in a way, in this case, in a way of vocation, you have a businessman, a carpenter, a homemaker in the world. You have rich people. You have poor people. You have those that are in places of influence and those who have, it seems, no influence at all. It's in the world now and it was 2,000 years ago. And what's amazing is to all of those people, all those Places and time, stations in life, vocations, places of influence. 
None at all. God came to them and God came to us right where we were at and saved us. God called us according to His will and by His sovereign grace. Therefore, our salvation, the time of our salvation, the status of life in which we were called was all according to God's providence and God's plan. God knew you were married to that unbelieving man when he sent Paul to preach the gospel to you so that you might hear and believe. God knew who was a Roman soldier and he saved him. God knew who was a slave and God knew who, who your parents were even when they were unbelievers and he called you by the grace of Christ into his life. God knew of the difficulties that would arise because of your present state, your present employment, all those things and a thousand others. But he came with grace and the power of the gospel and gave you life and made you his child. 1 Timothy 1.15, you remember that? We saw that at the beginning of this book. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And some some of those sinners were slaves and masters. It's amazing, isn't it? What he's done and what he continues to do. Let us pray.